Hey everybody, Legs Malone here. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Lunch with Legs. I am recording this in the gorgeous, gorgeous city of Vancouver in BC, Canada. I love this city so much. And uh, I don't know a whole lot about Canada, but I have been very fortunate to come to this fair city a fair amount of times. So it was only natural that I chose to interview some very close friends here by the name of Burgundy Bricks and the Professor. Before we get to those interviews, just a couple of things. Please be in touch with us if there is anything you want to hear, if there's anything you want to express. If you're enjoying the podcast, we keep getting reviews from people saying, oh, I love the episode, which is absolutely brilliant. Thank you guys all so much for tuning in. If it is not too much of an imposition, shoot us an email. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. And if it's creative enough, I might just read it on the podcast. (laughs) But uh, thank you all for tuning in. I am so excited to see our numbers slowly but surely climbing, and it's always such a thrill for both myself and my wonderful producer Dave to be hearing from people uh, all over the city, New York, as well as internationally. I understand that there are some lovely people in Toronto on the other side of this fair country of Canada that tune into this podcast. If so, thank you guys so much, and please keep spreading the word. This is more than just a burlesque podcast. This is, I purposefully filed this in the podcast store under society and culture, because those are two things that I think apply very well to all of the wonderful people who come and speak to us here at Lunch With Legs. But again, if you want to be in touch with us, please email us, lunchwithlegs at gmail.com. Also, if you are tuning in via iTunes, please leave us a rating and even better yet, a review. We count on both of those inputs to help up our visibility in the iTunes store. And, you know, it's still early days. I think this is, let's see, this is going to be episode 13. So we've been doing this for just about two and a half months, and it's been amazing. And we want to keep bringing you quality episodes and, hey, better yet, score some pretty sweet advertisers. And again, if you guys know of anybody who has any products or any events or anything that you would like to shill here on the Lunch With Legs podcast, please be in touch with us. Again, our email is lunchwithlegs at gmail.com. Before we go any further, I just want to let you know the intro and outro music that we are using for this episode is by the Lords of Acid, and it is called I Want to See Your Pussy. (laughs) I know that might be a little blue for some of you guys, and others not at all, but there's a reason we chose this music, and if you have ever attended the fantastic burlesque show Kitty Nights uh, here in Vancouver, you will be recognizing this music. And if you ever attended Kitty Nights in New York City back in sort of 2007 or so, you would recognize the music as well. The reason is because Burgundy Bricks and the Professor use this music during every single one of their shows, and it has a very special place in my heart. So it was a natural choice for the music to intro and outro this particular episode. It was a treat and a thrill to interview both Burgundy and the Professor. Uh, right in their living room in Vancouver. Uh, Just so you guys know, there is a little bit of audio interruption. We got a squeaky chair. We had a cat at one point make a very clumsy jump. Um, So 
what would this podcast be without some audio distortion? <laughs> soon, soon we will have a studio. Soon it will be pure. Uh, but until then, I hope you guys can sit back, pour yourself a cup of something, and enjoy this wonderful episode with the one and only Burgundy Bricks and the Professor. <laughs> Lunch with Legs. All right, live from Vancouver. Hi, Burgundy Bricks. Hi, Legs. <laughs> Hi, Professor. Hello, Legs Malone. Welcome <laughs> to Vancouver and Canada. I love it. It's amazing. I, I thought I had left all the winter weather behind in New York City, and yet it's been snowing for like a day here in Vancouver, and it's pretty amazing. Yeah, almost two days now, but... It doesn't stick when it hits the street. It melts right away, so we get the pretty without the problem. It's nice. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It, it is, is very pretty. This is the coldest I've seen Vancouver, I have to say. I have been... It has been colder. This is actually... The snow is... You know, when it snows, it can't be too terribly cold. It has been colder than, than this and without the snow. So yeah. the snow is, is actually quite lovely. I mean, you guys, I have to say Vancouver, I this is now my third time here, third or fourth, and I have to say, yeah, probably my fourth, I have to say, I mean, I am madly in love with this city, and I just want to compliment you guys on your excellent choice oh. of uh, <laughs> living uh, choice, for lack of a better term. You know, moving here, you guys emigrated here, and you, I mean, the burlesque scene was, there was pe- there were people doing burlesque here, mm-hmm. but you guys, you guys brought Kitty Nights West, and you have now been here for over six years, is that it? That's right. Holy wow. Doing Kitty Nights the entire time we've been here. Wow. It's incredible, and I have to say, I mean, I I love being in your show every time I am here, and I thank you for having the good taste to book me. (laughs) Well, thank you for being a great performer every time. Thanks, Professor. Thanks. Very nice. But um, I I have to say, I mean, I I guess I'm a little biased. I haven't been to all of the other burlesque shows in Vancouver, but you guys have you are a weekly show every Sunday night at the Biltmore Cabaret. And it is always a spectacular show, and you guys get solid crowds. I mean, last night the weather was bad, but there was still a solid turnout. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just say, well done, because New York, well, New York's weather is a bit more extreme sometimes, <laughs> I guess. That's true. Yeah. But it, it, it's, I feel it's a real testament to the amount of work that you guys have put in, both into the show, but your own careers as performers, as musicians, professor, as, you know, as generally famous people. Yes, we're on the Z list of entertainment celebrities. (laughs) There's a line in Blazing Saddles where um, right after the the old woman brings him a pie um, and says, of course, you'll have a good taste not to mention that we spoke. And he comes in and says, I'm getting to be a big underground success in this here town, (laughs) which is pretty much how I feel about my notoriety as a burlesque artist. (laughs) I do get recognized as soon as I introduce myself as Burger people say Burgundy Bricks I've heard of you so that's that's the level of notoriety that I have and on the bus sometimes I get you know <laughs> I get funny looks and that's about it wow yeah so can you guys tell me about what how did you guys get to Vancouver because I met you when I was first starting out in New York uh, when you guys were doing Kitty Nights still with Femme Appeal in Lower Manhattan mm-hmm. yeah. um, and here we are all those years later so can you guys tell me a little bit about why Vancouver, what was what was the passage like from New York to here and 
I know it's been it's it's been a saga. It's been a saga, but um, when we decided to come to Vancouver, I uh, it was basically me and my idea. Uh, didn't want to live in Manhattan my whole life in New York City, so I said let's move once and move to a really good place. And I had been to Vancouver in the past and. Really great city. It's very beautiful, as you know. It's also uh, very connected with the arts to the government. A lot of supports for the arts oh, here. Thank you, Canada. Yeah, right. Uh, it's a good example for the U.S. to follow. Yes. <laughs> also a good example for the U.S. to follow. I mean, politics crazy everywhere, but a little bit more common sense in Canada. So all those reasons put all together, we decided it was a good idea to try our luck to come here and Sure enough, we got here and Burgundy started the Kitty Nights, and the rest is the history. Wow. Yeah. How long after your arrival did you, did, did the first Kitty Nights happen? Uh, less than a month, I oh, believe. Wow. Yeah. A month. We started right away. We did. We, we, yeah, it, was one, it was one month. We, we moved here on December 1st, 2000. <gasps> That's my birthday. Yeah, it is. You guys moved here. Oh, I did. Yeah, we Again, did. Excellent timing, Excellent people. timing. <laughs> so December 1st, 2007, we arrived in Vancouver, and um, we had been in contact with some of the burlesque performers and burlesque artists in um, in Vancouver prior to our arrival. And this new, this club, the Biltmore Cabaret, had just opened. It had been an old club, a different club. It was under new ownership, and um, the booking agent was looking to find some interesting, you know, cabaret-style entertainment for Wednesday nights. So um, these people who he had, he had contacted, it was um, some friends of ours that were in Screaming Chicken Theatrical mm. Society, they said that they could not commit to doing a monthly show. It was too much for them. And they said, well, you know, these guys are coming from New York. They've been producing a weekly show. Maybe they'd be interested. So they, you know, passed the torch over to, uh, over to us. And I took, I took it over for, um, I started doing it on the Wednesday nights for the first couple of months. And I went to the club and said, you know, I'd like to do it weekly. I think it's going to be better for the club and easier, and we'd like to do it on the same night as our New York's show. And so um, we sat down, you know, at the round table and figured out a, an agreement, and um, that's and that literally has been six years ago that that's we have been amazing. doing that. Yeah. And your, I mean, the establishment of Kitty Nights here was one of the big petition points for your permanent residency, was mm -hmm. it not? We had so much outpouring of support from, the, from not just the burlesque community, but just from the community in general, just people who really appreciated having a place to go that we, the, the, what we were providing um, entertainment-wise in this town was something that that people felt was really important and really mm. needed and really necessary to the growth of the community, the artistic community, and the and the just the the the, the community in general. Having a place to go that was uh, that was affordable and fun and safe mm -hmm. and entertaining in a different way than they were than they were used to having like a, a regular. Um, you know, besides going to like a karaoke night, there wasn't a lot of like ongoing regular nights mm -hmm. um, where you could go and be entertained and have fun with and meet new people. So that was that was one of the things that definitely brought the community up to our aid. Mm -hmm. um, the outpouring of support when we found out that we might have to leave was ridiculous. It was we had we had like I don't even know like 400 people came out that night and all like you know donated money to our cause to help us wow. be able to hire a lawyer and and to do it properly and stay. I remember because the first time I came was your guys's three-year anniversary mm. show, and that was when a lot of stuff had gotten kicked off, and you guys weren't sure if you're gonna. And that's when I think that was around the same yes, time that was correct. all happening. That's correct. It was. It, so it took us three years after that to just work within the system and do all the paperwork properly and and cross all the T's and dot all the I's and um, yeah, and be approved by the government as a legitimate um, a legitimate 
Business yes, business entity. I was going to say entrepreneur, but yeah, business. Yeah, a legitimate business entity. So that we, to show that we were providing employment and um, and something of, of value to the province, and therefore be be able to be sponsored by the federal government as you know as worthy worthy candidates for residency in this country. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we were able to do that was is still like just phenomenal to me because burlesque itself is so. It's still it, as for as mainstream as, as as mainstream as it has become. It is still an underground art form, and it always mm-hmm. will be in, in many respects. I mean, I don't, I won't, ha- I, I love it that way. I mm-hmm. personally love it that it's a bit underground. It's not so so commercialized. Um, but the fact that the government here could see that in the arts and see that it goes beyond art and into commerce, and and that it's um, that what we do has value is really important not just for us but I feel like for the whole burlesque community in general like people can look to that and say like well look look what happened with these people it's yeah. you know if you do it if you do it well it has value absolutely anything that you do well I think has value amen to that yeah yeah I mean what what you put into it absolutely. you get out of it absolutely. and I'm, I'm interested to know a little bit about the Canadian burlesque scene and I know Canada is an enormous country because um, I, I one of the things that fascinates me about you know burlesque in all of the different cities and countries that it is in are the different legality issues that come up around it because and I've heard stories about you know more inland in Canada people being a lot more conservative about how much of the female body is allowed to be shown and I've just I've heard some crazy stuff I mean there's plenty of crazy stuff in America too Lord knows um, but I was just curious um, you know is Vancouver a more I, I, I'm Permissive, yes. Permissive, yes. yes <laughs> Thank you. That's so good. Um, you <laughs> say Canada is a very large country. It's very true, area-wise. People-wise and city-wise, we're five major cities with about 33 million people. Really? Not a lot. You got Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, Edmonton, and Calgary. Wow. Pretty much, that's about it. Everything else, small town, basically. Mm. All right. Yeah, know. it's true. So. There's that. <laughs> <laughs> For starters. Um, wow. We're yeah. the most liberal city in in Canada. Yeah, Vancouver is the most liberal city in Canada as well. The most the most artistic, the most... Um, I mean, we are West Coast. We are at 100% West Coast, although we are Canada. So yeah. just think about San Francisco or, you know, or Portland or a place like that uh, in Canada. And that's what Vancouver really is. Yeah. Wow. The two cities in... Alberta, that's Edmonton and Calgary for all you Americans listening. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Those two cities have many restrictions on how much of the female breast you can show and expose. That devious underboob. You know, the underboob, exactly. (laughs) And where you can do it as well. You can't have alcohol in a place where that happens. So you can't have burlesque show in a bar, which is crazy. Uh, Yeah, it's all. Unless it's a juice bar. Well, you know, there you go, for instance. But (laughs) as reasonable citizens, we understand that, yes, those particular rules can be twisted into human trafficking and prostitution and things like that. And that's why those rules are in place. And we understand that. Mm -hmm. But the other side of the understanding must happen from the government, where they realize that burlesque is just girls from down the street who serve your donuts or work in your shops or whatever, (laughs) just having a good time on the weekend. Mm -hmm. It's not human trafficking. It's not prostitution. It's just a semi-naughty good time. (laughs) So (laughs) hopefully the, the cities in Alberta will wise up pretty soon. 
one thing I like to think that might happen, because, you know, if you look at the Berlin Wall, that came down because of one small series of miscommunications. Mm. The whole thing fell all the way down, right? When we were applying for our permanent residency for uh, burlesque, we had to have that defined as a job so we could use it as a job to apply for the Canada, you know? So we had wow. to reason with the government, the federal government now. If you keep in mind, it's the federal level. Oh, my God. They accepted our explanation of burlesque as a job, that it wasn't stripping, that it wasn't prostitution, that it wasn't human trafficking. So they let us use it as a viable employment opportunity. And that's the federal people. And they approved the way we do it here in Vancouver with the fully exposed breast. With a nipple covered. With a nipple covered, exactly. Nipple covered by a pasty, but fully exposed flesh of the breast. Yes, the under boob, as you say. Under and side boob. So there's a federal... Caveat. A federal federal, uh, statute that's been established, which overrides or should override whatever happens in the province of Alberta, which should bring that down and make it... The Edmonton and Calgary scenes exactly like Vancouver. It should. Absolutely it, it should. Absolutely should. The only the problem with most with burlesque in most places is that a lot of the laws do are connected to the liquor control and uh, like liquor and casino uh, licensing committees, and that's why I think Calgary has been so put upon because the the um, the gambling and liquor control is very very it's it, no <laughs> it's encompassing it's very it's it's very controlling of that region because of the oil money because of the types of people who do come oh, there and they right. and they're trying to drive they're trying to and I'm sure that there are lots of bribes and things that happen within that community I'm 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 assuming to keep the the money that those people are spending in certain establishments that that do pay the higher fees to the government the casinos and the um, legitimate strip clubs, and I think they're just worried that if we allow every bar to have this, then we're going to be taking money out of the pockets of our biggest, our biggest financiers, our biggest um, supporters. Which I mean, this is politics. This yeah, is yeah, politics, yeah. Um, and that I, I feel that they're having a bigger problem because of that. And I feel like mm. bigger cities that do have more um, gambling and such and such like that do have a bigger problem with burlesque. Chicago has a big problem with it as well. So I I. I do see that side of the story, and I see that that could possibly happen. But they are using different; lo- they are they are not using those mm. regulations and to control the burlesque. They are just they are using old blue laws that are on the books and just choosing where to enforce them. So that's why when the professor says, <laughs> sorry, the professor says that you know it, it is true. They made us define it as um, partial nudity, mm-hmm. not so full nudity is it's not so the, it is defined as partial nudity not full nudity as well in in with the government as well here now yeah. so I do, we do feel very strongly that that could be used as a case for the girls in Calgary or Edmonton or wherever um, at, at any at any rate uh, we're just happy to help out <laughs> yeah no and you guys yeah. are certainly doing you guys are doing your part for sure for sure I mean I mean I I you guys get our I, I and again I don't know this for a fact but it is my impression that you guys are responsible for bringing in a lot of American talent mm-hmm. and international talent beyond America Absolutely, here to true. Vancouver mm-hmm. and for Kitty Nights and for the Vancouver Burlesque Festival mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I mean it's it's really hats off to you guys I got to it's say bigger than that if I may pat myself on my back and, yeah. and, <laughs> and also pat Burgundy on her back because she will never do it herself <laughs> now 
the Kitty Nights West is Canada's most popular burlesque show. We draw more people than any other production wow. of burlesque in Canada in a particular year. You know, mm -hmm. pick one. Um, that's uh, also at the largest venue for burlesque here in Vancouver mm -hmm. at the Biltmore. It's you know over 300 capacity, which is bigger wow. than any other. Um, burlesque venue here in town. And you guys routinely pack that out. Yeah, we we routinely sell a very large amount of tickets, yes indeed. Uh, we have a great time over there. Um, we came to Vancouver in 2007 when there was basically three burlesque entities. The Sweet Soul Burlesque Girls, the Screaming Chicken Theatrical Society, and the Pink Flamingo Live Burlesque. Oh, there was also... Um, the Fluff Girls? No, there? no. Um, Lola's All Troop. The... Uh, uh, Lola and oh, the, the Starlet Harlots. Starlet Harlots. That's right. They're defunct now, but that yeah. was also a small group. And pretty much so time. is Pink Flamingo. And Pink um, Flamingo is a small group. But now, I mean, I think our biggest influence has been to show that burlesque is difficult to produce, but not impossible. Mm -hmm. And that has been spread, and now there's maybe eight to ten burlesque entities wow. that do regular shows all the time. Mm -hmm. wow. And I think that's where we've shown our major influence Absolutely. to mm. show that it can be done and can be done well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Yeah, so like leading or leading by example is I, I've always felt the best the b best way to be a part of your, any community mm -hmm. is to lead mm -hmm. by a good example. And um, and so we do work hard to try to... And to, to put good work out there. Absolutely, to try to put good work out there and show and, and, and show people that this can be done if you want to. If you want to work hard, you can do it. It's not going to happen overnight. And a lot of people think that it, it is easy because we do make it look easy. Um, but, you know, we're there for support. I've had a lot of girls come to me and, and ask my advice on certain things when they're starting to produce. And I'm happy to, I'm happy to, you know, guide people in the right direction. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There are lots of little things that you don't know until you start doing it, as well you know as a producer. There's lots of funny little things. Yeah. So I love to share my knowledge about those types of things, too. Mm -hmm. And working, having it, finding a good relationship with a venue, it's, it's you know, the hardest that's the number one hardest thing <laughs> to yeah. do so once you have that it's you know it's it's lovely to have to develop relationships with different venues and um, sustain them over the years mm -hmm. for, for the benefit of everyone not just yourselves yeah yeah wow yeah that's yeah that's yes yes and yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> I would um, before I, I mean I want to I want to hear a lot about how you guys uh, sort of came to where you are um, but just briefly, I would love to ask you guys about any of the Canadian legends. And for those who are listening, uh, when I say legends, I mean the burlesque queens who have performed decades before the neo-burlesque scene came to be. And it's really to them that we owe our gratitude um, and a huge amount of acknowledgement um, for their contributions and their work in times that were very, very different from ours. Mm -hmm. um, I know of... Judith Stein, who is Canada's first lady, leading lady. Some I can't, I'm She's forgetting her tagline. Well, she calls herself the grand, the Canadians, uh, Canada's grand beaver of her life. <laughs> <laughs> That's herself. That is herself. Her self title. She is the first um, Canadian legend to be inducted into the the. Can, there's a Canadian burlesque museum 
in um, really in that which has been started by Chris Mysterion in oh yes in Toronto that's right so he has started a Canadian burlesque museum to try to you know to piece together a lot of the Canadians Canadians burlesque history is different than you know America's or wherever there is a lot of specific interesting specific facts about um, Canada's history in in the world of burlesque I mean. Um, Lily Saint Cyr spent much of her career living in Canada, in Montreal. I didn't know that. In, in yes, much much of her career. Um, Yvonne De Carlo, who uh, most people know as Lily Munster, was a burlesque artist before she was Lily Munster, and she's oh, from wow. Vancouver as well. Really? That's right. There's a lot of like really interesting burlesque history that goes along, and Yvonne De Carlo, I think, has also been inducted post, you know, posthumously. How, how do you say that? Posthumously. Posthumously into the Canadian Burlesque Museum Hall of Fame. Um, but Judith is our, she's, she's the lady who's been, she'd been coming to some of the, um, the burlesque hall of fames in Vegas before anybody really knew who she was. She, because she was friends with, um, Satan's Angel and Big Fanny Annie and a lot of these gals who she used to perform with. And she'd kept in, in contact with some of these ladies and she'd, they invited her to come down to Las Vegas and be a part of this convention, which is, it's a reunion weekend for these, for these legends of burlesque, for them to get together. And, um, I met her there. And then pr proposed to the Vancouver Burlesque Festival. Like there's this woman who lives in in Nelson. She lives in BC. She used to perform. She's known to the burlesque community in Vegas. And I think we should invite her to our festival and perform. N little did we know that she would completely slaughter the <laughs> slaughter <laughs> the, our hearts. I mean, she's ama she's amazing. And what's great about her is that she really did. I mean, there's a lot of legends of burlesque that really were working as as strippers and strip clubs at the time. There are older strip clubs where they did have more fully formatted acts, but she always played to the the humor even back then because she was. She's like, well, I. She's like, I had no tits, so I had to be funny. She's like, I was a short girl with no tits, so I had to be funny, and and um, and she is funny, and her acts like her acts reflect that even now. She's got so much humor in her material, and she she toured um, the the Yukon, and she used to run the run the whole. Um, there's a Yukon festival every winter, um, and she used to run all the entertainment for it and be the host and in in charge of like all these all the girls up there for many years. Wow. So um, yeah, she has a lot of a lot of great history of bringing the the comedy and in, in the striptease together which is what we do so much now and a lot of the legends were just more elegant and classic and um because of the places that they performed that's what they wanted to see but she was performing these really raw wild areas in canada with lots of you know oil rig guys and gold gold rush guys and that, this kind of thing so they they appreciated the humor and the wit yeah she's a, it's it's really interesting so i love we love her for so many reasons, um, and we've just recently been in contact with another legend in Canada. She's from she lives in the Edmonton area, mm. and she her first job she started working um, at the age of fourteen. It, so many of them did. So many of them did at the age of fourteen in Vancouver at Tommy Chong's club in Vancouver. So um, Tommy Chong of Cheech and Chong fame had a, he had a club in Vancouver. He's no he's from Vancouver as well. Really, I yep. didn't know that. And so he uh, he had a club and she worked there as a as they, she was advertised as the masked dancer because she was actually too young to work there. Oh my god! So they I fe they featured her as the masked dancer and she she danced fully masked and then um, you know and and then was escorted out of the club so nobody could find out who she was and they couldn't wow. get in trouble.
Yes. Wow. Her name is Suzette Monique, and she's going to be appearing at the Vancouver Burlesque Festival this year, which is really going to be exciting. Wow. She came to Vegas last year and got quite overwhelmed with the whole thing, <laughs> and now she's starting. She's Easy getting ready. <laughs> she's getting ready to, yeah, dip her feet back into it. Oh, my gosh. That's so exciting. Now, to segue, I would love to hear about the the, the, the Vancouver Burlesque Festival. Yes. Um, that's coming up this May? That's right. And May. it's every May, yeah? Every May. It's usually the first weekend in May, May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd this year are the, th- are the dates. And um, this year we are at the all at the Vogue Theatre on Granville Street, which is a beautiful restored Art Deco theatre. Oh, it's wow. stunning. Um, so we're there for all three days, and we'll be bringing in... Um, I don't think that we've... I, by the time you have this online I'm sure we will have announced our headliners so maybe I can say it's, in it's advance it's posting in like a few hours oh so. <laughs> unless you guys have some well, serious turnaround <laughs> that's true well we have contracted our headliners but we haven't actually posted them yet so but I can tell you that Judith Stein will be hosting um, she'll be one of the hosts on the Thursday night she'll be actually working as an MC for us oh this year my God. which is quite incredible I've seen her host and she's fantastic um, and, you know, uh, we don't know who all the local performers will be yet, or the international performers. They have not been curated. Um, I I could probably safely say that um, there is one person of this year's burlesque royalty that we have in, that, that will be appearing. Fabulous, um, fabulous. I will not say who that is. That's fine. And we can watch the internet and find out. That's right, <laughs> that's right. Um, as well as some other performers that we all just really, really love. And some and a couple people from Seattle that Yay, we Seattle. really love. A male performer from Seattle, well, I will not mention who we all really, really adore. And we're very excited to have him. And, um, and my lovely, the other... Other hosts, I know that um, the lovely the lovely professor has been I- invited to be the host of one of the evenings. That would be lovely, professor. That is. Right. <laughs> he has been invited. So you know, the rest is um, actually we have a, we're having a meeting tonight to try to finish the rest of the the, the curation, and um, we'll be announcing within the next couple of days That's everything. That's so, so exciting. That is excited. so exciting. It's very exciting. Um, yeah, we've had a lot of we've had a lot of fun with the festival the last few years. So every every year is more exciting than the last. So it's getting bigger and bigger. That's amazing. It's amazing. So can you? I mean, for for those of us, um, well, or for those who are listening to this particular episode, you guys basically make your living producing shows. I mean, mm-hmm. apart from you know the occasional day job. Um, right now, that is absolutely accurate. Absolutely <laughs> accurate. We're producing a lot of shows right now, a lot, a lot of different and formats. performing in different ways. I mean, producing and performing both yes. of you guys, yes. dancing and professor. You are and quite singing. the musician. You're in how many bands right now? Uh, two. <laughs> two. Two. Two right now. <laughs> is it two or is it really three? It's two. Okay. For two. shows we got planned, it's for, two. Oh, for the shows we've got yeah. no planned. But um, yeah, so so we've got a lot of we've got a lot of um, rehearsing time plotted into our days and I'm teaching as well from time to time and uh, you teach. you are you are part of the Vancouver burlesque center yes, as well so that's so I'm helping to run that center as well with two, my two partners cherry on top and Lola frost um, so yeah we have and we have some drop-in classes there so that needs to be <laughs> those need to be taught mm-hmm, every mm-hmm. week as well as just general general maintenance of the studio and stag at parties and you know private events and all these kinds of things so um, yeah, it's it's a lovely it's lovely to have the space though. It's lovely to have the space to rehearse in when you need it as well. 
Absolutely, uh, my God. Oh, yes. And the storage space. I mean, and the storage space. The storage space. space. There, I have to say, the Vancouver Burlesque Center, the whole back end of that, <laughs> it is, I mean, as a New Yorker, I just, I look at it and I salivate. It's like 20-foot ceilings, maybe 25-foot yeah. ceilings. Yeah. You guys have stuff stacked up on different walls. Me I mean, it's, it's it's not like hoarder-style packed. No, no, no. But it's it is. Props and costumes. And props and costumes for and three for three ladies, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes we do hang on to other people's. We have we have a few things there from some of our um, our renters, you know, who who leave some things there too as well. So yeah, we do have we do have a lot of space, and we're constantly trying to Tetris it all in to make it work the best. And uh, with Cherry on top, has a baby on the way, so a few more things from her home are going to be stored there. But you know, at least we have the space. She has to clear out her costume closet because it's going to become the nursery. That's right. Her costume room is going to become the nursery. Hashtag stripper problems. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Miss Cherry, baby rad needs a place to live too. Wow. Mm -hmm. Incredible. So um, yeah, so there's a lot. There's a lot to do, and it's it's nice to be able to sustain myself within the arts and within my uh, within the arts that I've been creating, producing, and being involved in, rather than working for, you know, a, a theater company or, or something like that, where I have less control over the final product. So, yeah. um, I like having control over the final product. It is a lot of work, but I'm it makes me very happy to 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 create something that is a success that is that does delight people. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just, you know, not just one act, you know, one performance. It's really great to be able to expand now and like create a whole evening of entertainment to delight people on a whole nother level. So mm-hmm. it's, I love that I'm like evolving into that into that realm as a performer mm-hmm. producer. Yeah. And I mean, I am pre- performing in all these all these shows that I'm producing as well, so performing or hosting. So yeah, it's a lot There's of work. a lot. Now, you guys are both lifelong performers. Would mm-hmm. that be an accurate statement? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I would love to hear, I mean, individually and collectively, just your guys' backgrounds. I mean, because I know you both have such rich and varied performing arts backgrounds, mm-hmm. and um, they're sort of wonderfully complementary. I mean, it shows in your productions, your relationship, all that. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it you know, the richness is there. I would just love to hear... Your guys' backgrounds. Sure. Uh, I, I, you know, I begged for a tutu out of the Sears catalog when I was <laughs> about four and a half years old. I think I got it for when I was about five, and then I got to start ballet when I was six. So I started ballet when I was six, and I, I studied dance all through all through um, grade school, high school, college. I went to, to college. I ended up going to college for theater arts, which is not what I intended to, because mm. um, I was also a, a visual artist mm. when I was younger as well. I started. I started. Um, I always sang. My fa- my parents both sang, and they both play instruments. So um, music was always around, and we always went to lots of free concerts and things because we. It was during the recession, and we had a, like very little money, but there was a lot of free concerts and things to go to. Mm. My parents would take us on outings to to go to, you know, gallery shows and and you know organ recitals, any anything that they found in the paper that was free or you know a dollar or something like that. We would go. So I was always around the arts, and um, even though my parents are are very Catholic and and a little bit conservative, they were very liberal artistically, which mm-hmm. is really nice they um encouraged us to sing and we all had we all are singers as well we were all in choir as soon as choir was uh you know an option for us so i started singing when i was very young as well and competed in solo and ensemble competitions when i was young and then ended up 
I wanted to go to school. I thought I would be going to school for art and business or for filmmaking. Those mm -hmm. are the things that I really, really wanted to go to school for. It, it, like I wanted to be a filmmaker, number one thing I wanted to do. And then um, didn't think that was realistic enough um, that because there was there weren't a lot of filmmaking schools when I was a, when I was a kid. Then I I really was interested in art and business and going into advertising. Um, and somehow I got recruited for the theater department of the uh, university that I went to rather than the art and business. So mm -hmm. I, I literally, they said, well, you do all these things that you could do them all in theater. So you know, like you can design sets and costumes, you can direct, you can, you can act, you can sing, you can dance. Why don't you do all those things here? All of which you are doing which, right now. And all of which <laughs> I am doing right now, including, including advertising and the art and business and yeah. designing all the graphics up for all of my shows and all the logos and all the branding. I des design all that as well. So I am using all the skills that I always wanted to use. Um, and yeah, I'm not a I'm not a filmmaker, but like it's I am I am creating these spectacles which are live, which is not, it's it's different than making a film. But that's the only thing that I probably don't do. I do video editing, you know, from time to time for projects that we need, mm -hmm. but I'm not mm -hmm. an actual. That's the only thing that I that I don't do that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that I'm not trained to do. Yeah, and I I went to school for theater with a minor in dance, and I did study. I mean, I did study. Um, besides, it wasn't just a performance school. It wasn't a, uh, a a conservatory. It was a, a well-rounded liberal arts school. So for the theater department, we did have to study everything: lighting design and sound design and um, oh, wow. set design. So you know, we had to. We did study everything, and I did all those things and worked my way through college in the costume shop, as well. So wow. um, yeah. So I have a pretty well-rounded idea of of what goes into any kind of visual theater and and a good background to kind of move it along but it also makes me want to do everything <laughs> and and it makes it I'm, I'm starting to be able to give away more and more tasks like one thing I don't do I'm a musician man. delegating, delegating is difficult Oof. I am a musician but I'm not a musician like my husband is so it's lovely to like give him this whole other division and that it's really growing our brand so exponentially and having him take over that whole thing it, it's a huge it's a huge relief to me and also it, it's a, just a, a delight to have this whole other level to the productions that we're doing that I don't think that I could I could I know I could not do myself mm. because he's writing all the he's writing the charts for everybody and, and figuring out you know the arrangements of the music and writing some original music for the productions which is really phenomenal as well so handling all that um, so yeah having him involved with that is so incredible lets me be able to focus on all the other stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Now you worked on Broadway. I didn't work on Broadway. Oh. There's always there's. <laughs> you worked off Broadway. The okay. Technicality. There's a technicality. <laughs> well, there's. I mean, if you want to, there's, there's an idea of what a Broadway dancer, a Broadway performer, is, and I was a Broadway performer. I did not actually do a Broadway show on Broadway. So I mean I worked I worked with Radio City Productions, which is you know based out of um, Radio City in New York, and um, I did many of their um, out of town Christmas shows. So we called it them the Coney shows. They were called Coney at the time, Christmas outside New York. So there was Christmas in huh. New York and Christmas outside New York. So I was in the Coney Productions, the not the Kinney. No, no, they, didn't, they just <laughs> called them you know the New York Productions or the Coney Productions. So I did. Um, I did a year. I mean, they were and those those working for those those um, contracts like sustained me 
throughout the rest of the year because the mm -hmm. the pay was really good and we did so many shows and so much overtime. So I did I worked in Branson in 1995 and 1997 for those, and then 1998 I was oh wait 1995 1997 or was it Branson for three years? I think Branson for three years, and then I worked in um, Mexico City, our first international company of the show in Mexico City. Wow. And then my um, last year, I worked in Chicago, in the Chicago show, which was at the Rosemont, which is just outside of Chicago, big, huge theater. I have, I just have a question. What is Branson like? I have heard <laughs> so much about this city. Um, I just, I would love to hear what your experience was it's there. Fascinating. And you, like, the, the friends that I made working in Branson are some of my best friends in the world because you, you can't share you like this it experience you that you have is so bizarre like nobody can relate to it it's it it was this little town it's not even a town it's a street it's a street and there was one there was a show back in the day like it was a place where people would come into town for whatever in the Ozarks there and, and go and see this show and because of the one show that they had there like they it it was so popular that the other other shows kind of like just evolved out of that and the shows are the original shows are ridiculous, and the original shows still exist. The Bald Knobbers, um, I don't even know what a Bald Knobber is. That's an amazing is. name. I don't know knobbers, what it is, but it's... That's the original show of Branson. Look up the Bald Knobbers. I don't know who they oh were. I'm kind of confused by the fact that the Bald Knobbers were some kind of a... They, they were... They were Okay, they wore pillowcases on their heads, but not in a point. They had like <laughs> like bunny rabbit ears. Oh my god! I don't really understand what a bald knobber is exactly. And I and I worked in Branson for three years, so um, all the big shows. So the, all all these people, these famous people that um, all the older generation love, set up theaters there because it's a. I mean, it's a tax shelter. There's no. It's a. It's a right to work state, so they don't have to use any union performers in mm. Branson. So um, that cut down on a lot of their entertainment costs for their musicians and their actors and things like that. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's true. And they could get these big pieces of property out there for like nothing. So the Lawrence Welk has a theater out there, the Lawrence Welk um, uh, compound. They have a compound where their people oh live God. and work and, and it's like a whole, whole compound. Andy Williams, um, the Oak Ridge Boys, Charlie Pride, the first black country singer, or the first famous black country singer is Charlie Pride. Glenn Campbell, um, Bobby Vinton, Andy Williams, all these people would move out to Branson and set up these like big theaters and these big, oh, um, uh, Tony Orlando, but without Don. Well, he had, he had, had different backup singers all the time because there's always a lot of, um, um, <laughs> they were always suing him for sexual <laughs> harassment. No. So it's Tony Orlando had his theater, yes. Oh um, my God. And then there's some, uh, there's magic shows, and there's also there's a show called The Waltzing Waters that all it was was water in fountains set to music, and you would just go and watch water. The Waltzing Waters. I mean, kind that's of awesome. It's kind of genius. Kind of awesome, right? <laughs> and Shoji Tabuchi, which is the number one show in Branson for many years, he's a Japanese. Um, Fiddler, he like he's a he's a violinist, but he actually fiddles, and so like they love him down south. But he's Japanese, and he has a whole he's a Japanese fiddler. Huh? Yeah, and he has one of the biggest theaters in Branson. Wow. Oh, Yakov Smir, we shared the, our theater with Yakov Smirnov. Wow. <laughs> yes, and Dino, Dino is some piano guy who is famous for I don't know what song he played that he was famous for, but he bought a lot of um, Liberace's old pianos and they would have them on stage doing his Oh my god. So I, I've got pictures of me sit, sitting at one of Liberace's pianos in my brawn panties. 
Wow. Yes. That's amazing. It is amazing. <laughs> but yeah, Branson is such a weird place, and and so there's no gambling. It, it seemed it feels it's like also Vegas. Incredibly conservative. Oh, incredibly. The, you had to, if we wanted to buy condoms. This was the first year, the first two years that I worked there. If you wanted to buy condoms at the supermarket or at the supermarket or the drugstore, you had to ask, and they had to get them from a locked case. You had to ask, and you had they had to like get somebody who could go and get you. So it was a very big deal because it's so Christian and conservative. That oh that's, my god! And so they basically are shaming you, you know, publicly if you buy condoms. Oh yeah, god. it was horrible. However, like cigarettes were a dollar a pack. <laughs> um, priorities, people. Priorities, people. <laughs> but it it looks like the city look. It looks like Vegas. You drive down the strip. It's all restaurants and shows. Um, so it looks like Vegas, but there's absolutely no gambling and nothing and no sex, no oh sex, no God. gambling. It's like a really boring Vegas. A really boring Vegas. <laughs> but you become, if you're a performer, you start hanging out with all the other performers in the tech crews, of course. and you've got your own hangouts and your own places that you go that the, the regular people don't go. Yeah. They, um, the wonderful Chris McDaniel um, has been spending I quite a bit of time Chris, yeah. in uh, Branson. Yep. Chris, I've known Chris from since before burlesque because he used to do um, the Will Rogers Follies a lot yes. of different places. Yep. Because he's a great roper, yeah, and um, and I have so we know a lot of the same people in common from Will Rogers Valley's because I did I did a production with a lot of the the original cast mm, mm, mm. at the Carousel Dinner Theater. That's right, years ago. And w when you say Carousel Dinner Theater and you gesture to the professor, is that where you guys met? No, we both worked there at different different contexts. Oh, at different times. Yeah, or? different times. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it was a very um, assembly line dinner theater where they would bus in senior citizens from wherever they could and they would fill up the theater and serve them dinner and then the first act happened and then intermission and dessert happened and the second was act it, happened. Was this in Boston? This no. was in Akron, Ohio. Akron, Ohio? <laughs> North America's largest dinner theater. It seats a thousand for dinner and a show. What? Full a thousand people? For dinner mm. and a show and they would sell out almost every show yeah. and you would do, it's a, it's a big business. So we they would bring people in from New York. We would get we would live there on. They had their own housing for mm -hmm. us. We would live there. We would do the shows, and it, we would. And it was a good contract in the sense that you'd get. It, it was like three months. Was it three months or no? Wait, ten weeks of work. Two ten, and a half, three two, months. Two and a half or three months. Oh my two god. Two and a half or three months of work, which all like goes into your weeks that you need for your insurance for, for equity. So a lot of it, it was very attractive as a job to a lot of people from New York and they would get top names from Broadway to come down there to do the leads. So it was wow. It was great. My God. I mean it's crazy, but it was you know, it was <laughs> a job and I worked there twice. The professor worked there once under his previous name and I uh, yeah, I worked there twice. I did Will Rogers Follies and I did Wow, a holiday spectacular. <laughs> was there an exclamation point yes, at the end of Wow? There was. <laughs> that that's that's actually reassuring. The best thing is that <laughs> people way. called up the theater <laughs> thinking it was Women of Wrestling. There was a tour <gasps> called Women of Wrestling, which is also called Wow. It was oh not. Oh, my God. It's a fascinating piece of work. Um, but, yeah, I worked with a lot of Vegas performers in that show because it was like a big Vegas-style review show, and there was singing, dancing, variety, et cetera. Now, I would, I, would, I would love to also hear what brought you to Boston because it's my understanding that that is where you and the professor met. That is where we met. I moved... Well, what actually brought me to Boston, what does bring you, like, I was right out of college, and I had been dating a guy in my, at, in the theater department who was a year ahead of me. He got into Brandeis um, for playwriting, and so I was looking at my options for places to move after college, and 
I didn't think that I'd really be with him forever, but at the same time, it was like, you know, well, I know somebody in this town, so why don't I move out to Boston and, you know, I'll I'll live with him and whatever. And, you know, that, you know, d dissolved after a couple of years, a year and a half or something like that. And I stayed and he moved away. Mm. So, um, which is great because then I got to meet all sorts of great people like the professor and um, some uh, just other lovely people. But I met them all through the alternative rock scene in Boston, not through the theater scene. Although I do have friends that I met in the theater scene in Boston that I'm still very good friends with as well. Mm. So, and I taught dance out there in Boston for a number of years as well. And um, then I started going to New York to go to audition for shows when I got the, the, um, the courage to do so. Wow. And then that led to me to just move to New York. Wow. Yep. So, Professor, I want to hear a little bit about your background, too, because then I want to bring the stories together for, you know, oh, sure. the marriage. Um, I got basically my performing start in rock bands when I was 14, you know, the, when she was looking at the mm. Sears catalog for... <laughs> for tutus? Wait, tutus. That, that, that's not true, though. What about drum corps? So. That's <laughs> your performing. That's your your yeah, origins in performing. When I was a very young child, I was involved in Catholic school drum corps. I wasn't in Catholic school, but they had a, a youth organization for the CYO, and uh, we learned how to play marching drums. And we marched around the football field, and we went to competitions, and we were very successful. We went on tours. I went to Colorado and Alabama. And oh wow! Yeah, and as a 12, 13 year old kid, that's pretty exciting. That's huge. You know. It's the first time I'd ever been on the road like that, out of New England, you know. <laughs> go to family vacation in New Hampshire or something, but, yeah, to go to Alabama and places like that and everywhere in between and have adventure like that was really exciting. Wow. Uh, yeah, so I did that, and then I turned that experience into being in rock band. And then the rock band thing led to theater, which is where I, I met the Burgundy. She got me an audition for a show in uh, in Boston, <laughs> uh, a, a fun show that was fun to do. You don't want to mention the name of it? <laughs> no, actually I don't. Okay. <laughs> Just saying. But anyway, my last rock band, we had a lead guitar player who was best friends with uh, Burgundy's ex-boyfriend. So ah. that's how we met. It was at the party for the band at uh, somebody's house and... Um, I asked my guitar player, hey, who's the girl with the red hair? And he said, going out with my best friend. I said, oh, okay, no problem. You know? <laughs> so we knew who each other were from there. I think that was 1994. And I always made sure I, well, always made sure I had her email address, you know, for theater and, you know, <laughs> maybe for something else reference. someday. Because we had always been in touch with each other when we were involved with other people, you know. So 2004 rolled around. We were both living in New York in the, at the time, and she was single, I was single, and we had one date, and that was it. Wow. <laughs> that was it. We, that was 10 years after we met. Uh, so wow. So we'd known each other all that time and uh, kept in touch. Oh, my gosh. And then, uh, yeah, the planets were aligned at the right time. And God We had one it. date. It was 13 hours, and then mm -hmm. we just never were apart after that. Wow. So. 
Aw, that makes my heart go all warm and squishy. It's a good story. Yeah, it is. And you guys were married in Central Park. Which Central Park, that's right. The quintessential New York wedding. Right. I mean, if it's not at the plaza or wherever people are getting well, married these days. No, we went with the $25 venue. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> True. Attention listeners, if you want to get married in New York City, go get a permit to get married in Central Park. It's cheap as chips. It is. It <laughs> 25 is. bucks it was when we did it in 2006. Right. $25. But we have I don't think it's gone up much from that. No. You just have to clean up after yourself. That's it. That's right. <laughs> we had our first date in Central Park, and we got engaged in Central Park, and we got married in Central Park, all pretty much in the same part of Central Park. It's wow. this Shakespeare Garden. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I love that garden. It's so beautiful. It's so, and I'd never, I'd never seen it before. Our, it was the day that we got engaged, and we were like, we're like, what is this beautiful part of the park? I've never been here. Let's walk around. Look, Shakespeare things, little quotations. This is lovely. And then all of a sudden, I, before I knew it, there was a ring on my finger. So Wow. There you have it. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was Aww. a nice day. It was all sunny. Oh, so beautiful. I had had a day off from work, and she was back from the ship. And I'm like, no, you're not going away again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, to mention, I had been singing on cruise ships a lot at that at that wow. era. Yeah. Not that I'm the kind of guy that would tell my wife what to do. <laughs> no. I mean, that's, that wasn't the point of that statement. No, no. It was just that I, I wanted to make sure she wanted that she knew I wanted to marry her. That's right. I'm glad. Yes. I think we're all glad. I think the burlesque community in general, and even non-burlesque community, is like the world is just a better place because you guys are together. And I mean that. I mean that. That's so sweet. But it's true. I mean, you guys know, I, everybody who comes on my podcast, there's an immediate bias. (laughs) 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 I only talk to people that I really like. (laughs) So far, I'm open to different ones. Um, (laughs) But, um, but yeah, no, you guys definitely, you, you hold a very special place in my heart. And, I know I've just seen how you've impacted the burlesque communities in New York, but especially here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I just think it's it's fucking fabulous. And I, I, I thank you guys both very sincerely for all the hard work you do. I mean, the inspiration that you both create, you know, the the synergy of the two of you is just it's 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 more bright than that amazing uh, electrical waterfall you have on your wall. Uh, I'm going to take a picture of that and post that so you guys all know what I'm talking about. You might have to take a vine of it so you can I am see told it. I am totally going to vine the shit out of that <laughs> waterfall light box. Um, so where can people find you both on the magical interwebs? If they want to learn more about you individually mm-hmm. and collectively, you can find me at burgundybricks.com or kittynights.com. Both of us. Um, so yeah, that's where that's basically where we are. You do you have another? We are making a subdivision page for. <laughs> I want the professor on Facebook. I'm I'm going to put that into spoken right. digital recording. I can do that. <laughs> I tried to You're make it about the professor coming to a Facebook near you. <laughs> that's right. You're more persuasive than I. Because I have been trying to get him to have a Facebook page for quite some time. So if well, you, you can, you know, it's the straw persuade. that breaks. It's the straw that breaks the professor's mind. That's right. Yes. <laughs> changes the do. doesn't break. Easy changes. To do. <laughs> <laughs> and um, before before we close. I just is there anything you guys want to say or add or just put out there into the universe that mm. is accessible by iTunes? Um, accessible, not necessarily acceptable. Oh, oh. They've already accepted the <laughs> podcast. This is just about being accessible. Oh, I see. Over the past year, I've gone to a lot of other people's burlesque shows to see what's going on. And it has raised my own mental bar mm. of what I feel can be accomplished and uh, is good 
or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that's important for everybody, like go to university to get exposed to different ideas. You might like, you might not like, but you get exposed and you find out what that answer is for yourself. And uh, I, last year was a New Year's resolution and I carried it through the whole year. I saw lots of different productions here in Vancouver. Well done. And it really uh, expanded my mind of what burlesque can be and honed my focus and direction as to what I consider the best mm. of that kind of thing. So I think everybody should go out and check out other people's burlesque shows and uh, it would help us, uh, help us all a lot to raise Absolutely. everybody's bar. Yeah, mm -hmm. feed your community, you feed yourself. That's right. Anything else you want to add, Burgundy? I don't know. I, I, always, I speak so much during the interview that I never have anything else left over, really, <laughs> to add. Um, <laughs> Just happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy you guys are here. Yes. And I am happy to be here. Thank you, Legs. Thank you, You're Professor. You're awesome to podcast Thank us. you. Thank you. Oh, anytime, yeah. man. Thank you, guys. <laughs>